strange or is it me? It sounds fine. It's me. The word is that it's me. Well, you've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit this quarter. And here I found a slide online that shows a list of them. And I wonder if you have them memorized at this point. How many of you have them memorized? Let's try to say them together and see how we do. Use that if you need to. And if not, do it from memory. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sometime back, I wrote, wrote them on a card, and that really can help to memorize anything. Put it on your vanity in the morning. Put it somewhere in your car. My uncle, Jerry uh, Davidson, who's a minister, how many scriptures he's memorized through the years by having an index card with the scripture written on it, and he has it in his car. And as he's driving, he's always at a stoplight or whatever. He's working to memorize scripture. So it's a great thing. Let's say them one more time, and this time I'm going to take that away, and let's try it. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where are those found, that list of fruits of the Spirit? Where do they come from? What book of the Bible? Galatians, what chapter? Chapter 5, that's where they're found. And it's interesting, I wanted to kind of back up and read a little bit getting into that list because I think the context is interesting too. Starting in verse 16, even though the fruits of the Spirit themselves come in verse 22. Let's read this. He says, I say then, Paul does, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So see, there's a contrast here. You've got walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Why? For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. And now the works of the flesh. We're studying the fruits of the Spirit, but did you know there's a list of works of the flesh? The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I lost count, but there were at least 15 things in that list of the works of the flesh. And then he says, but. So there's the contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is, let's say it together, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, And we're back to the list of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. You never hear a a series of lessons on the works of the flesh. Why not? Why wouldn't we have a list of uh, sermons about the things that we read, those 15 things? Because that's not what we're seeking to add to our life. A tree is known by its fruits. And so we're studying the fruits 
of the life that is lived in tune with the Spirit of God. You know what I think is really significant about this list of fruits of the Spirit is not only that they will prepare us to live the best life here in this world. I mean, think about it. The people that you would like to be around, aren't they loving people, kind people, patient people, peaceful people, gentle people? It helps us live the best life we can here in this world, but it also prepares us for the best life afterward. After all, this life is only preparation for eternity. And the scripture says that the only people who are going to be there are those who are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. Don't you want to live eternally with those kinds of people? Or would you rather be with the selfish and the hateful and the contentious, those works of the flesh? I heard a lesson just this week that really struck me because the minister said, you know, we go, we go through our life and at some point we become a Christian. And then we think, all right, we've done what we need to do to make it to heaven. And yet, God doesn't take us immediately to heaven. He leaves us here. And then eventually we go to heaven. But what's all that time for? After we become Christians until the time that we are taken to heaven. What's it for? And the minister said it's because God is working and wants to sanctify us during the rest of our lives. Sanctify means set apart. He wants to do what He can to set us apart, to ready us for heaven. And that's what the adding of these fruits of the Spirit is all about. It's part of our sanctification. He's trying to set us apart. And so, so far in the studies that have happened in this class, we've talked about love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and tonight, gentleness. Gentleness. What does gentleness mean to you? I wonder if an image comes to your mind when you hear the word gentleness. Your mom, Dean, you say, and I'd like to know why. Tell me about that. Uh, it was, I'll just give an example. Uh, an example uh, one day she uh, got out a belt and I just started laughing at her <laughs> she was like I said you just don't look right holding that belt because <laughs> she was always so gentle and meek uh, unlike most of the Itsons you know but anyway uh, she's just the perfect example of that anybody else what comes to your mind when you Miss Janice is pointing to you. Did you know that? She considers you to be gentle. Anybody else? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's kind of you. It's certainly a quality I try to emulate. And Mr. Rogers. That's right. So I did a search on Google just to see what would pop up when I did the word gentleness. And I'll share four slides with you that came up, and I think they're pretty good images. See that little hand inside that big one? And there's a mother with her baby. And a little bird in the hand. And that little girl holding a flower, and it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. And that's from the book of Philippians. Gentleness is a word that is not regarded in our world today like some of the other fruits of the Spirit. 
And it's because we're living in a world where the person whose voice is the loudest is the most convincing. Because we're living in a world where the person who is the roughest and the toughest among us is the most esteemed and admired. Because we're living in a world where those who are aggressive and rude and shocking with the things that they say are revered. And because we're living in a world where those who can make the best jab with their words at someone else are considered the coolest. But when we look at what God says, He says that gentleness is the better way. And so I would say to you, isn't that just like God? To take the things that the world says are right and He flips them completely upside down. I think it's so true that most oftentimes we can look at what the world is doing and if we'll just do the exact opposite, chances are we'll be doing what God would have us do. Why is that the case? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25 says, it's because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We can't begin to understand His ways apart from His Word. But the Bible also says you shouldn't be surprised when you look at the world, people who don't care about God, have no love for God, fear for God, desire for God. And they're doing things that are like the devil himself. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, near the end of that chapter, don't be surprised. It's all they can do. It says, for the natural man, the man without God, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And then it says, nor can he know them. He can't. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. We have to have a readiness and an understanding of God's will to understand why it's better to be gentle than to be the way the world says you should be. So tonight, we're talking about what it means to be gentle. If you look up a definition of the word, this is something like you will find. It means to be mild in temperament or behavior, to be kind or tender, not harsh or severe, It's people who have a soothing, calming quality about them. Gentleness is closely related to humility. And that, again, is very different from the way the world says you should be. The world says, if you want to be great, go for it. No matter who you have to step on as you climb the ladder of success, God says that's not the way to be. But I suspect another reason gentleness may be less desirable in our world today is because it is sometimes associated with another word that's often equivalent to it. And Dean, you used it. It's meekness. Meekness. And the idea, you know, people will say, oh, you Christians, you're weak. You're weak. You're just pansies. We just need to keep you quiet and let you be who you need to be. Uh, you, You must need a crutch if you have to believe in a God. And that's the way they look at us if we want to be gentle and meek, perhaps. It's unfortunate, I think, that the word meekness rhymes with weakness because that can confuse the meaning of it. Let us set the record straight. Meekness is not weakness. You look up a definition for weakness and you'll find this. It's having a quiet and gentle nature. It's not wanting to fight or argue with other people. You're not wanting to do it. Some people look for a fight, but not people who are meek. 
And there are some people who even try to tease apart the two definitions. And they'll say that if you're meek, that means you have an attitude that's going to produce the action of being a gentle person. And that may be true. But suffice it to say that meekness and gentleness are not weakness. Now how do I know? Because of at least two people, the Bible says, were meek and gentle. One of them was Moses. Remember the book of Numbers, chapter 12. It says in verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Well, we know enough about Moses to know he was not weak. Do you remember he killed an Egyptian? That's in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what it says. When Moses killed an Egyptian. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Does that sound like a weak person to you? And yet the Bible says he was meek and gentle. He, he broke the Ten Commandments because he was so angry when he came down from the mountain where he had received them and saw the people worshiping a graven image. This is in Exodus chapter 32. It says, Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, the Ten Commandments. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted at the bottom of the mountain, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. That doesn't sound like a weak man to me. Numbers chapter 20, he got angry. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it for water when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And because he did that, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. And yet, the Bible says he was a gentle man. He wasn't weak. And that kind of confuses the definition today that people have for what it means to be gentle. But you know who else the Bible says was gentle? At least one other person was our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he said it about himself in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am, what? Meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, can you think of other examples we have beyond the fact that Jesus just said, I am meek? Can you think of other examples in the Bible that let us know He was not a weak man? What comes to mind? He turned over the money changers, absolutely. When he went in the temple and saw what they were doing, that's John chapter 2. It says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. That's not weak. 
with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, exclamation point. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise, exclamation point. He wasn't weak, and yet he said, I am meek and lowly in heart. And we know he wasn't a weak man for at least one other reason. He was a carpenter after his father's business, his line of work. And we all know that that's hard manual labor. A weak person can't do it. He got angry, but he sinned not. And he was a meek and gentle person. It's not saying then we can conclude from that definition. It doesn't mean that to be gentle does not mean we never get angry. But when we do get angry, we sin not. It's the idea of strength under control. You've probably heard that before. We could choose to lash out. We could choose to get angry and sin. But we control it and choose not to. It's a character in which strength and gentleness are perfectly combined. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first one is the idea of an elephant. Did you know that an elephant's trunk has more than 40,000 individual muscles? His trunk or her trunk is strong enough to uproot trees and carry logs. In fact, in some countries, Thailand, India, they even use elephants in the logging industry in other countries. You see there the elephant is holding that big log to transport it. But that same trunk with 40,000 muscles in it is sensitive enough and gentle enough to be able to pick leaves from the top of a branch. That elephant has tremendous strength, and yet it controls it. If you you fell and were injured and needed someone to carry you, let me ask you, would you want someone who is weak or strong? And you would say, all together now, strong. But you would want that person to be gentle with you. Take care and not drop you. It's the very same idea. Strength that is under control. Here are a couple of other pictures that I think get to this same idea. Look at that dog. What's on that dog's nose? You see that butterfly? He could take that butterfly out and yet he's choosing not to. He's being gentle. One more. Here's a lion and a cub. The caption for this picture says, Power and Gentleness. It's not that gentle people, what we're striving to be, are weak, but we have our power under control. One of my favorite examples of our Lord's gentleness is the account we have of the woman caught in adultery. It's in John chapter 8. I'd like to read it to you, verses 2 through 11. John 8. Now in the morning Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And the Bible says this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, as the image here shows, and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. You see the woman caught in adultery, at least in this portrayal. She's bowing before him there. So they continued asking him, and finally he raised himself up and said to, said to them, He who is without sin among you, 
let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And then Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman still standing there, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, how gentle, how gentle he was. He could have shamed her. He could have said, What were you thinking? But he didn't. He chose to be gentle with her. And that does not mean he didn't call out her sin. He called a spade a spade. But he said, Go and sin no more. And he did it in love and gentleness. And then I think of Jesus' interactions with children. Matthew chapter uh, 19 says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Well, the disciples didn't like that. They were getting close to Jesus with these little children. And so they started rebuking the people. But Jesus interrupted them and said, No, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. Why not, Lord? Because of such is the kingdom of heaven. Mark's account of this same incident adds this, that Jesus took those children up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. One commentator writing about that said that Jesus took them in his arms as gently as a mother would. He was gentle. He got angry. But he got angry for the right reasons. And he didn't sin in doing it. But he chose, he had, look at the power he had. And he chose to be gentle with it. You know, it's interesting to think about what Jesus must have looked like. We're not told much about that at all in the scriptures. And yet, he must have, must have been a gentle person. I mean, he says that he was. And, and I think about for children to be drawn to him. He had to have been a gentle person. I learned a whole lot about gentleness during the six years I taught elementary music at ACA. 400 four-year-olds through fifth grade students every week. I learned about gentleness. You can't be harsh with those little ones. They'll cry on a dime. If you look at them wrong, they will cry. I saw a father one day in the airport, and I think it's been since the, you know, I was not teaching elementary school anymore, but I saw him with his son in the airport one day, and I saw him go like this. He went and flexed at his son, trying to scare him. And I thought, oh, how you're going to regret that someday. He chose to be rough and to try to intimidate his son instead of being gentle, getting down on his knees and saying, son, why are you acting this way? Two examples come to mind. I don't think Gavin would mind me telling you it was him. Little Gavin Lyle, of course, he's not little anymore. But when Gavin was in kindergarten, some, one day he had hit another child. And I was in there to teach them in his classroom, and somehow that came to light. And I said, Gavin, come up here. And so Gavin came up, and I, I got his little hands, and I held him in my hands. And I said, did you know that your hands were not made for hitting? Your hands were made for helping 
and just held his little hands. It's a wonderful song. Do you know it? My hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's word. My feet were made to walk in his footsteps. My body is the temple of the Lord. That's what came to mind to tell him. Your hands weren't made for hitting. They were made for helping. And I like to think he got the message. I never heard of him hitting somebody again. I'm sure he did. But maybe that made an impression on him. And then another little boy in fifth grade. I'll share one more with you. I'll never forget this day. He had gotten in trouble in class, and after class he stayed behind, and I wanted to know what was going on with him. And he said this to me. He said, please, don't tell my parents. If you tell my parents, they will not speak to me again. And tears. Well, that completely disarmed me, and I thought, I can't be rough with this child. Because, you know, there's a wonderful quote. There isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story. And that's how I felt then. I had no idea. And we don't know. Just like we don't know what's going on in the pews of those around us often, unless they choose to tell us. Everybody is hurting in some way, so be kind. But it's not just children. We all want to be treated with gentleness. When we've done something wrong, when we're scared, when we're hurting. And thank God we have a gentle shepherd. There's a song that we sometimes sing, and I'd like us to sing it together now, and it's called Gentle Shepherd. Let's sing it through twice. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. one more time and sing it like we mean it. I think we all know it pretty well. Here we go. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our from the 
I want to share with you as we reach near the end of our time together tonight, seven benefits of choosing to be gentle. These are not original with me, but I sure do like them. Here's number one. It's good to be gentle because gentleness diffuses anger. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever experienced that? If I'm a day or two late paying my credit card, I've just forgotten. If I call them and they say, I'm sorry, there's going to be a finance charge. And I say, what do you mean? That won't help me at all. But if I say, you know, I am so sorry, I completely forgot to pay that. It slipped my, you know, da 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 They will reverse the charge. Being kind, it diffuses anger and you don't want to do, we don't want to do anything to... Um, aggravate it. When other people raise their voice to us, we lower ours. And those of us who are teachers know that's a huge one. If we raise our voice in anger, it just escalates and we all get louder. We get softer. We don't ever want to get drawn into raising our voice. We remain gentle and calm. Number two, another benefit of gentleness, it disarms your critics. How do we respond when people talk about us? When we find out someone has said something negative about us, do we get angry? How dare they do that? No, if we will respond in gentleness, it will actually disarm them. I can't believe you acted this way, they might say, and you say, what do you mean? That's only going to cycle. But if we say, you know, you're right, what can they say? What can they say? Because if they're looking for us to get wound up and we agree with them or we are kind and gentle to them, it actually may disappoint them. On social media, when people sometimes are, are, and you know they are, on social media sometimes people will put things out there just to get a response. People will say things in anger and one, it just triggers. And people feel safe, I believe, behind their computer screen and say things they would never say in person and let us not get drawn into that vicious cycle. I heard about a celebrity one time who was upset because the tabloids had written something about her that was totally untrue. And one of her wise friends said this, that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the perpetrator. Don't forget this. Some people get their living by seeing you get your dying. And it's true. We can't control what other people say or how they act toward us, but we can control how we react to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul was talking about the way they had been treated, the things they had endured. He said, we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are defamed, we entreat. Now let me rephrase that last one. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. When we respond gently, in other words, when evil things are said about us. A third benefit of gentleness. It is persuasive. There is a proverb that says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break 
a bone. That reminds me of when Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will. Well, this proverb is saying much the same kind of thing, where it says that a gentle tongue can do so much as break a bone. When somebody comes on really hard and forceful to us, our first reaction may be to respond the same way. But if we will remember that we're getting ready to go to heaven, we're being sanctified. And one of the qualities Christ wants to see in our lives, he wants to cultivate gentleness, then we can respond and be far more persuasive. Never forget, we are never persuasive when we are abrasive. Number four, gentleness is attractive. If we want to be more attractive people, we've got to be gentle. And that's true for us as men as well as you ladies. Here's an example for the men. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, but you man of God, flee from all of this. And he had lead him, talked to him about things that would lead him astray. And he said, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's a pretty good list for what makes a godly man. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Ladies, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Did you know there is a beauty that does not fade? The Bible says it's the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. He values that. Beauty fades, but there is a beauty that never fades. Number five, gentleness communicates love. Colossians 3 verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Gentle men are gentlemen. Number six, gentleness earns respect. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 16 says that a kind-hearted or gentle woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Did you know gentleness is a prerequisite for being a good leader? It says that people who are gentle are going to gain honor and respect. You think about the great leaders of our time. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, they were gentle people. Others might have wanted to get like this, but they, in leading them, said, no, no, no. The better way is to be gentle. Number seven, gentleness shows the world that we belong to God. You know, non-believers are always watching us. Somebody's always watching. And they're looking at us, especially under stress, to see if we handle things any differently Are we any different under pressure? But when we respond with gentleness, it makes an incredible, indelible example. Titus chapter 3 verse 2 says that we as believers should never speak evil of anyone, nor be quarrelsome. Instead, we should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. We can disagree without being disagreeable. 
We don't want to be quarrelsome or speak evil. If people like what they see in the way we live, then they will want to know more about why we are the way that we are. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says we are to always be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks us, to give a reason for the hope that we have, but we're to do it with, the Bible says, gentleness and respect. And we do that no matter how ungodly they are. They may be an atheist. We're kind to them and we do it with gentleness and love and respect. I may have said there were seven of these. There's actually eight. The eighth one is this. Finally, gentleness makes us like Jesus. He said, come to me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Our whole life is to be designed to increase in the way we become more and more like Christ. The goal of our life as a Christian should be to become so much like Christ that when people meet us, they automatically meet Him. If you and I are going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to learn to be gentle. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that the meek will inherit the earth. In other words, the people who are gentle, they're really the strongest ones. Those who are rude and cruel and pushy and arrogant and prideful, they are the weak ones. And to the meek, the earth will be theirs. You see how God turns things upside down? How do we cultivate gentleness? How do you do it? Do we strive and think, I've got to be more gentle? No. I think the key is in the phrase, fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of our living according to the Spirit and in tune with God's will. And it's found in this verse right here. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, when Jesus says this, Abide in me. That's all we have to do. Abide in me. And he says, And I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. How do we cultivate gentleness? How do we cultivate love and joy and peace and patience and all of the rest? We do it by abiding in the vine and letting the Lord produce the fruit. How do you do that? Abiding in the vine. I'll never forget, Brother Cecil, you saying that the greatest problem we face as Christians is that we do not read our Bibles. And I think we all know it's true. There is nothing magical about this book, but there is something very supernatural about this book because of who wrote it. And that's why people will say, every time I read it, I get something different out of it. It's because this contains the mind of God. And He knew that if we could read it one time and get everything, we'd put it on the shelf. God's Word is a purifier, an exposer, a cleanser. And we need to be daily in His Word and letting Him change. This is how we abide in the vine. We, we spend time. If all we're getting is our time in corporate worship, any wonder? Let us abide in the vine. I appreciate your good attention tonight. We'll stop a little bit early. The first bell has rung. And thank you. You've been uh, so attentive. And I truly appreciate it. And, and Hope certainly that some of these thoughts will be helpful to you as, as I hope they will be to me as we proceed forward in our Christian life. Let us pray.